Today's reading is taken from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you, from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's really good to be joining with you this morning. Um, as I'm sure you've already heard during your service, my name's Matt. I'm the associate pastor at Eden Baptist Church. So just across Christ's pieces from, from you uh, um, at HT, I've been there for coming up to four years. Uh, and it's been wonderful to, to get to know Stuart and get to know a few others, particularly students who are uh, part of HT. Uh, and it's really exciting for me to be to be joining with you this morning. Um, particularly as we think about this gem of a psalm, Psalm 22, which, which resonates all the way through the history um, of the Bible right into our lives uh, as we follow the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we, as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we do praise you for your word. We thank you that when we come to this, this your word, you speak to us. 
And we meet the Lord Jesus and your spirit goes to work in our lives to shape us to be more like him. Lord, we pray that as we hear these words, you would be doing that work this morning. Amen. I wonder, where do you go when, when times are really difficult? Where do you go when, when things feel awful, when it feels like everything is lost? Like maybe like the, whole, the world and, and, and everything is against you. Where do you go in your mind and in your heart? Maybe it's that, that constant feeling of, of trying again and again and again at something. Maybe something at school, maybe an exam, maybe something at work, a report or a project or whatever it might be. And finding that you keep failing or, or maybe it's that you have this issue of, of chronic pain that just seems to be getting worse and your sleep is getting worse. More pain, less sleep, everything feels awful. Then again, maybe it's perhaps more mental illness, the, the black dog of depression, that cloud that descends to the point that you can't even look up. Where do you go? Or when you, perhaps, or a loved one are staring death in the face and you know it's coming, where do you go? Or perhaps when a friend, a family member or a colleague finds out that you, uh, you profess to follow the Lord Jesus and mocks you for it, makes fun of you, says, well, you know, where is your God now in this middle of this viral pandemic when everything's been so rubbish for the last year? Where do you go? When things feel really awful, when all is lost, when the world seems like it's against you, where do you go in your mind and your heart? See, for some of us, I reckon it's probably we, we kind of escape. We, we want to move away from it all. We want to kind of turn away from it. We turn on Netflix. We turn on Disney Plus. We turn to social media. We try and distract ourselves. For others of us, I guess we numb ourselves, don't we? We look for pleasure in different places, be it alcohol or sex or food or, or anything else. We want to get rid of the pain and just numb it. That's where we go. And then maybe there's the rage. Those of us who rage in anger at the world and the injustice, at our family, our friends, our colleagues, and maybe even at God. I wonder what this morning wants to ask, what does God say to us in those situations when it feels like all is lost, when it feels like the world is against us? What does God say? Psalm 22 is a great place for us to ask that question, because Psalm 22, in its first instance, is essentially a cry of anguish from a believer who has hit rock bottom. But notice as we work through this psalm that he doesn't rage against God. He doesn't cry against God. No, he cries to God. The first thing we need to see is that this believer, King David, in all likelihood, is in a place of utter dereliction. Have a listen. Verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry of absolute agony, isn't it? Of deep anguish rising up from David's heart. A place of utter, everything is awful. The world is against him. All seems lost. 
we might ask why why is he crying out like this so so agonized and immediately we'll see as we work through the psalm that it is because there are assaults coming against him from every side david is experiencing physical agony that's there in in the middle in verses 12 to 18 his strength, he says, is like it's turned to liquid. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. He has no strength. He thirsts. Verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He's in pain. He's thirsty. And around him are countless enemies that he likens to wild beasts. Verse 12, many bulls surround me. Verse 13, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. David is being assaulted. He is in physical agony. But perhaps worst of all, he knows that somehow God is there too. Verse 15, you lay me in the dust. I'm dying, God, and you are here with me, kind of standing behind it. And I don't understand what is going on. And so David is also experiencing deep mental anguish. That's there in verses six to eight. Verse six, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. David is receiving insults and mocking even in this moment of absolute physical agony and mental anguish. And again, perhaps worst of all, it's because they are driving really deep just at his relationship with God. Verse eight, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I thought you said God delighted in you. Well, why on earth would this be happening then? Why would you be in such a place? And perhaps that's why we see that this is driving such deep spiritual agony. Those first two verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Everything seems lost. The world seems against David. He, he is in effect crying out to God, why don't you answer? Why don't you do something? Where are you? And I wonder, have you ever felt anything like that before? Have you ever felt such a deep cry of anguish that you, you turn around and you look for all sources of support and find it seems like every single one is cut off and even God the heavens are like brass and my prayers just feel like they're bouncing off the sky. Where do you go? Where do you go when things are awful, when all is lost, when the world feels like it's against you? Have you noticed that even in this anguish, even in this agony, this spiritual, mental, physical agony, David does not turn against God. He does not turn away from him completely. Even in this anguished cry, David is crying knowing that this God is his God. My God, my God, my God. He says three times in those first two verses. And perhaps the fact that he is still clinging on, maybe by his fingernails, 
to who God is and that, that God is his God explains why this psalm just brings us such a swirl of emotions. I wonder, did you notice that the way that it kind of flips between David's agony and then cries of, of trust towards God? Did, do you notice that? We hear his spiritual agony in those first two verses, but then verse three, yet you. And then we hear that mental anguish in the next paragraph, but then verse nine, yet you. We hear that physical anguish in uh, verses 11 to, to, to 18, but then verse 19, but you. David keeps flipping. His emotions are swirling all around the place. He's feeling in agony, but then he is also looking to God and he is remembering that God is his God. And we might ask, how? How, how can you do that, David, when you are in such a difficult place, when everything feels like it's rock bottom, all is lost, the world is against you? And the answer is that David looks back. First of all, verses three to five, he looks back at God's faithfulness in history, in salvation history. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. This God is the God who saves his people. He's the one who has delivered his people. He is the Holy One on whom they can depend. But that's not just enough. It's not just enough to know God's actions in history, in salvation history. It was also true that David can look back in God's, God's actions in his own personal history. Verse 9, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. You've always been faithful, God. In my own history, you have always been my faithful God on whom I can depend. And so as this psalm reaches its kind of climax of pain and agony in those last few verses of that physical, physical agony, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, my bones are on display, people stare and gloat over me. So this way of looking back at God drives David's final cry for help. Verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. In effect, David is going, I know you have delivered your people in the past. I know you have been faithful to me in the past. And so now, even in this, I will cry to you. Because you are the God I can depend on. And so I want to ask again. Where do you go when things are awful? When all is lost? When it feels like the world is against you? Do you look for escape? Do you try and numb the pain? Do you rage against the world, against God? Or will you cry to him as the Holy One who delivers his people, who is faithful and has been faithful in your past, and so you can trust him with your future and even your present? At Eden, in our pre-recorded services, in our, in our online services, we've been taken up the practice of pressing the pause button 
to reflect at moments like this in sermons. And so I'm going to pause now just for 30 seconds. A question will come up on the screen for you to have a chance to just reflect on what we've been thinking about so far. But of course, we haven't reached the end of this psalm yet, have we? As you look at this whole psalm, take a minute to look at it now and remember that psalms were originally written as songs for God's people to sing. David gives this psalm as a song for, for all of God's people. And so the question is, what does the music sound like? We, we don't know what the tune was, the Doe of the Morning, it was called, according to um, the, the, the title. But, but what did it sound like, do you think? See, the thing is, in verses 1 to 21, as far as we've got, as David's emotions swirl, as he focuses on his, his agony, and then he, he thinks about God's faithfulness in the past, and he cries out in desperation for God to deliver him. I guess the music sounds a bit, well, kind of foreboding, right? Sad, perhaps. Lots of minor key. But then in verse 22, do you see? The tune shifts, doesn't it? Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. We've seen David's utter dereliction, but as the psalm comes towards its second half, we see that God turns utter dereliction to triumph. So from here on in the psalm, it is a psalm of praise and joy, a call to join with David in praising God. And the question is, well, what's changed? David, you were in utter dereliction a minute ago. You were in anguish and agony. And now you're crying in praise and joy. What's, what's happened? What's happened? God has heard. Verse 24, he has not despised or scorned the, the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. God has listened. God has heard David's cry. He has delivered him. And so now David calls all of God's people, come, see what God has done for me. Join me and praise him with me, for this is a God who listens, who hears the cry of those who are afflicted. And so we can picture an enormous feast as David, the king, sits in his, maybe in his throne and he, he throws a huge celebration. You picture tables kind of stretching off as far as the eye can see, laden with the most delicious food. An, an incredible drink, the finest wine, and, and, and somewhere in, in the middle of the feast, as everybody's enjoying feasting and celebrating, David stands up 
He calls for quiet and the hush falls on the whole room. The gathered assembly, hundreds perhaps, of God's people who are enjoying this celebration, turn their eyes towards him as he stands and he sings Psalm 22. As he sings a song of utter dereliction and total triumph. And as the end, as as these last few verses come, this psalm becomes a call to all of the gathered people. Praise God together with me. Our God is a God who delivers his people. Verse 25, from you, from God comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. God turns utter dereliction to triumph. But then even this, that would be a great place for the psalm to end, wouldn't it? End of verse 26. But even that is not yet enough. The praise David feels for God must go further. And so verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations, all the families of the nations. David is deliberately echoing that promise that God had made centuries before, back in Genesis chapter 12, to Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And now it seems that somehow God is taking this utter dereliction and turning it to triumph. And that is how all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Somehow, Abraham, that promise to Abraham that through his family, God was going to bless all the families of the earth, is now being fulfilled and worked out in and through the suffering of God's king and his delivery from that suffering. It turns out that God is a reversal specialist. God turns utter dereliction to total triumph and calls all the world to join. But all of this, all of this does beg a question. And the question is this. How does this psalm, this this story of David himself, king, 3,000 years ago over God's people Israel, going through a period of utter suffering and anguish, spiritual, mental and physical agony, and then experiencing that deliverance. How does that help us now? How does that help us 3,000 years later when it feels like all is going wrong, everything is awful and the world is against us? Why does David's experience help me? And the answer is because in Jesus... God turns utter dereliction to total triumph. In Jesus, God turns utter dereliction to total triumph. Because for for even all of the poetic license that we might offer, that might let David get away with here, somehow he is stretching language far beyond something which it would seem he experienced, isn't he? As he describes that suffering 
Verse 12, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, my bones are out of joint, my heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. This seems extreme language. Extreme language that becomes even more extreme as he starts to talk about it, that these surrounding enemies piercing my hands and my feet. And then verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. You see, somehow, in some incredible way, God has so planned it that David's lines here, as he writes of his own experience, will echo down the centuries, will be picked up by believers and, and those who trust in God from before the time of Jesus to describe their own hope. But somehow they will be learned by heart, by, by Israelite after Israelite after Israelite, until one voice in history cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we need to understand the, the wonder of hearing those words on Jesus's lips as he hung on the cross on that first Good Friday. As Jesus himself died the death that we couldn't die in our place, he experienced something of the utter dereliction that David describes in Psalm 22, so much so that he takes Psalm 22 self-consciously onto his lips to describe it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is a this is a wonder and a mystery. Because who is this person, Jesus, who hangs on the cross and cries those words? He is, of course, God, the son himself. God, the son who from eternity has always had an eternal and unbreakable, re perfect relationship with God, the father together with God the Spirit, in one God, three persons, in perfect, triune, other person-centred love for all eternity. And actually, that would mean that in himself, as God, he, he can't be separated from God, from his Father. The Son can't be separated from his Father, unless we are going to somehow suggest that God changes on the cross. But of course... In the person of Jesus, who was both fully God, God the Son, and fully human, God the Son made a man. In his humanity now, somehow he experiences that utter dereliction. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the biggest question we have to ask is why? Why does the one human who has never broken his relationship with God the Father, who has never experienced distance from God, why does he now on the cross cry out that cry of utter dereliction? Well, think about it this way. What happens in your brain and your heart when you hear the first line of a song that you know well. Remember, Jesus knows Psalm 22 off by heart. 
and he quotes the first line. Try this. What if I was to say, at first I was afraid, I was petrified. If you know the song, immediately you're thinking, I will survive. Or, or if I said, somebody once told me the world, world was going to roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Again, if you know the song, immediately you're thinking, hey, now you're an all-star. It works with, with the songs that we sing in church every week. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, how great thou art. Or how great the chasm that lay between us. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Do you see, when we hear the first line of a song that we know well, a song that we, that especially a song which grips our heart, then we aren't just thinking about that first line. Immediately, in our minds, we will go to the whole song. We'll remember the whole song. We may even hum it to ourselves. And so what happens when Jesus hangs on that cross and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that he and everybody else is thinking Psalm 22. Jesus knows it by heart. His hearers, Jewish brought up in, in, through the synagogue, will have learnt Psalm 22 by heart. They will know it. And so what is Jesus saying when he cries that cry? Here, on this cross, as I hang in utter dereliction, God takes my utter dereliction and turns it to total triumph. God turns utter dereliction to total triumph in Jesus because he hung there, taking that utter dereliction in our place as the one human in all history who did not deserve to be cut off from God, to have that relationship broken because he was the one human who had not rebelled in sin against God. He takes on all of the distance that we deserve in our sin. And then he bursts through death into resurrection life on that first Easter Sunday. And so, so when Jesus quotes Psalm 22 verse 1, he is quoting all of Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 verse 1 becomes both the cry of utter dereliction and an incredible cry of total triumph. Hebrews chapter 2 Verses 10 to 12 says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, listen, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12 puts right into Jesus' mouth, resurrected Jesus' mouth, who has brought people from death to life. Psalm 22 verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. And so do you see what's happening when Jesus cries that cry of utter dereliction on the cross? He is also thinking consciously and pointing us consciously towards the total triumph that is to come. All the rich of the earth, Psalm 22 verse 29, will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Verse 
It's another way of saying that last line. It is finished. As the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, God turned utter dereliction to total triumph. And so David's song in Psalm 22 became Jesus's song at the cross. And because it became Jesus's song at the cross, so it can become our song if we turn and trust in him. So let me ask one more time. Where do you go when things are awful? When all seems lost, when the world is against you, where do you go? It can be so tempting to cry against God, ask him, ask the world, why would God allow this to push hard against him? You don't seem to care, God, but because Jesus cried to him, we can cry to him too. God turns our utter dereliction to total triumph. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise you for the Lord Jesus. We praise you that as he hung on that cross and cried out in utter dereliction, he was also winning total triumph. We praise you that all the families of the nations can be blessed through him. And we ask that you would help us to turn to him and so cry to you in the power of your spirit, knowing that you have taken our utter dereliction and turn it to total triumph in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.